It is your Tuesday, Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to have you guys back for another day. Good show coming up, as always. Um, Going to talk wild here in a little bit. They clinched a playoff spot, but a disappointing finish to last night's game. They had Vegas on the ropes, gave up a goal with the empty net in the, in the uh, final minute, extra attacker, and end up losing that game in a shootout, but do clinch a playoff spot. So some good news, some bad news there. Bigger picture for the Wild, though, they're still trying to get Get the division title, get a get a top four spot at least, get a home playoff series, get a chance to advance, and th- those chances took a little bit of a hit on uh, on on Monday. So we'll get to that here in a little bit. Got to talk Twins. My goodness, they are on a roll to start the season. It's been pitching and hitting all you know, pitching to start the year. Hitting has picked up the last two games, four home runs yesterday against the Marlins. They rolled in that game. They're four and zero. And looking pretty impressive doing it, so we'll get into that a little bit more deeply. That home opener just two days away, at least in theory, although I wouldn't be shocked if they decided to maybe move that game to Friday. The difference between Thursday and Friday forecast is pretty pretty stark, so we'll see if they end up playing that game on Thursday or Friday. But for now, that is when it's scheduled just two days from now against the Houston Astros, which would be a good first test of the season at home. Um Going to get to the NCAA title game and a little bit more confusion about Bally Sports North and how you can watch it. First, though, what did I miss? i got to start with the Wolves today. And I know you might be saying, oh, yeah, of course you are, because you always talk about the Wolves. You can't stay away. And, yeah, that might be true. But, um, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day after Patrick and I got done talking on uh, – for Monday's show, just, you know, I think we stumbled into this a little bit, but we didn't really dive into it head first. Like, how do you how do you assess blame in a season that, you know, while hasn't gone completely off the rails, has, has been disappointing? I don't think anybody would disagree that from the start of the year, expectations to right now, it has been a disappointing season for the Timberwolves. I thought this was, after the Rudy Gobert trade, looking at how deep this roster was, I thought this was going to be a 50-win team for the next several seasons. I really did. I thought this was going to be a team that contend, could contend for a top-four spot in the West. And really, if they were a 50-win team, they certainly would be doing that this season. The West was wide open. I think we were right about that. What we were wrong about was how this was all going to fit together. Now that we're obviously extenuating circumstances, right? Carl Anthony Towns missed a sizable part of this season, 52 games. That's a, that's a pretty strong majority of the year. Before he got, you know, before he got injured, it wasn't looking that great though. They were, I think, they were ten and eleven when he got hurt. So they've been hovering right around five hundred all season. So how do we, how do we decide what is what and who is to blame this season for how this has gone? So I wanted to kind of take a little bit of a deeper dive into that, like how how we how we assess the blame, how do we assess the damage, how we divide up, you know, what what we think has really gone wrong for this season. It's really been I I. I found myself leaning towards four individuals specifically. And I think we have to start, I, I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that either. I think we have to start in the largest majority. I don't even necessarily have to put a number on this. This is not a fine point. This is not a, um, this is not an exact science by any stretch of the imagination. This is just a thought exercise. I got to, I got to say still at this point in the year, the largest share of the blame has to go to Tim Connolly, the, uh, the general manager, president of basketball operations who put, this team together and specifically who made the Rudy Gobert trade. Now, I think Gobert has been better 
in the last 20 to 25 games. We'll get him get him more here specifically as an individual here in a little bit because I think he is certainly one of the four in this conversation. But Connolly making this trade, giving up so many future assets, this year's number one pick, Walker Kessler, four future number one picks and pick swaps and, you know, players, you know, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, um, you know, giving up all of that in this trade just to just to have the chance to have Rudy Gobert. Now, I get it. I, I get why you make that deal if you're the Timberwolves. You're not going to be able to get a player of that caliber in free agency. You've got certain salary constraints, things like that, that are going to be a problem. But for this year, at least, if the notion was bringing in Gobert, pairing him with Towns could give you this kind of powerful, multi-dimensional too big lineup. It just hasn't worked. It hasn't worked consistently enough when those two when those two guys have been on the court together, and the the fit of the rest of the roster just hasn't been good enough to to warrant what we thought could could happen this season. Now I think some of that's on how the players have performed both individually and collectively. But whatever the vision was that Connolly had, and I'm not saying he didn't make good moves. Uh, I think Kyle Anderson was a great signing. I think they've they've done some good things here. Um, I think the moves he made at the trade deadline to get Mike Conley to try to unlock uh, Gobert has been a good move as well. But I think on balance, maybe there wasn't enough thought and care put into what this would look like ultimately going forward after you made that trade. And the investment, how much you gave up, is still got to stick with you because that is going to severely limit... You know, not just their ability to add good players in the future, but their ability to make a similar type of massive trade, at least in the direction of the way they made the Gobert trade. So right there, I think Tim Connolly gets the largest share of the blame. But let's move over to Chris Finch, head coach. I don't think this has been a great coaching job by, by Chris Finch. I think I've been I was much more impressed with him the previous two years, you know, kind of rescuing that team in the middle of the season a couple years ago, showing some promise and potential by going, I think like sixteen and twenty or something like that over the last thirty-six games of of the uh, you know, of the year coming out of COVID, just kind of you know the the way he was the way he was coaching offense on those teams, the way he kind of had these guys motivated and going forward, and then obviously the step they took last year, going from twenty-three wins in that seventy-two game season to forty-six a year ago, making the making the playoffs, getting into you know getting through and getting through the play and getting into the playoffs. I thought that that was a very good coaching job. I think he had the right mix, the right buttons to push. Um, this season, it's felt like it's just been a struggle from the beginning, and it just felt like he has not had answers where I thought maybe there could be answers, and maybe some of that's leadership. Maybe some of that is not knowing how this team clicks, not knowing what you know what really motivates this team, how how to put these pieces together. And maybe maybe there's too many egos. Maybe there's too much too much going on with this roster, then the fit was wrong, and the pieces he was handed could not be put together correctly. And again, that goes back to a Connolly problem, but I think Finch has not done a great coaching job. I would not give him an F, but I certainly would not give him an A. I'd give him somewhere around a C this season. I don't think he's done a great coaching job. There's been some in-game decisions, you know, not calling timeouts, having guys play through stuff, lineup combinations, experiments, things like that. It's just felt at times like he didn't have answers this season for the things that were going wrong and you know again they I think they're tied for the league lead in most double digit point uh double digit leads blown I think Alan Horton tweeted that the other day like they're 18 and then if you look there there are four 
terrible teams in the NBA this season. Four teams that have been far and away the worst teams in the league. Houston, San Antonio, Detroit, and Charlotte. Every other team in the league right now has at least 33 wins, has at least been in the mix to compete for a playoff spot. Now, a lot of those teams are out now. They've been surpassed. They're not going to make it. Teams like Orlando, Washington, Indiana. But those are not terrible teams. Those are teams that have won in the mid-30s. Those are okay teams, teams that have been competitive. But San Antonio, Houston, Charlotte, Detroit, all of those teams have 26 wins or fewer. Detroit, San Antonio, and Houston have 20 wins or fewer. Those are by far and away the four worst teams in the NBA. The Timberwolves are 4-7 and seven against those teams this year, and that includes 3-1 and one against the Rockets. They got swept by Charlotte in two games. They got swept by Detroit in two games. They are 1-2 against San Antonio, and they've got one left against San Antonio. San Antonio is 20-58. They beat the Wolves twice. Detroit is 16-62. They beat the Wolves twice. Charlotte is 26-53. They beat the Wolves uh, twice. Unbelievable. Now, that tells me that's a team that hasn't had the focus it needs in those games. And again, you can say that's on the players, but at some point the coach has to help you win those games, has to get you focused, has to reinforce the things you need to do in those games in order to win instead of shrugging his shoulders afterwards and saying, you know what, that's just how we've been this season. That's just how we've been this season. So I think some of that is on Finch as well. Third, Rudy Gobert. I just don't think he adapted quickly enough. Uh, brought. I don't think he brought the energy early this season. I think when Connolly got here, uh, Mike Connolly got here, I think it, it improved him. I think he got started to get more comfortable in this offense. I think he's been much better lately. So I don't want to pile too much on Rudy. I think his his game is always going to be limited to a certain degree. He's not going to shoot, you know, three-pointers. He's not going to you know his game is just his game is what it is and the things he provides are very valuable, the defense, the you know, the rim protection. Uh, making easy twos, things like that. Those are important things, but I don't feel like he did enough early on to mesh with this team, to bring his skill set into this. I think there was too much adapting to him instead of him adapting to the Wolves, and I think that I think you can lay that blame to him. Now, he, he's not the one that made this trade. He's not the one who said, give up all this draft, draft capital and, and player capital to get me. He's not the one who said, blow up the chemistry you had last year to try to make this even better. So I get that. It's a little fraught when you say, when, when you compare someone because it's inevitable that you're going to compare the trade and not just the player. But the player himself, I don't think he's been as advertised. I don't think he has warranted, certainly, what they gave up to get him. And I don't think he has been the player I think they thought they were getting. I think he's been close, and I think he's been getting closer to it. But I don't think he's been that player. Finally, Carl Anthony Towns. Again, he's been hurt. And to what extent he was hurt, how much of those 52 games... Uh, what was going on in those 52 games? He was injured. I don't know if we'll ever fully know exactly what that story was, and maybe it isn't a complicated story. Maybe he was just that hurt, needed to ramp up. The calf strain is serious, and that's that. But I feel like the first 21 games gave us a sample size where this just wasn't working all that well, where he was clunky, a bad fit in this offense. And since he's come back, and again, made the winning free throw his first game back, made the winning three his second game back. Since then, you've seen a lot of these things that were plaguing the offense early on, this lack of ball movement, um, things slowing down, stopping when he gets the ball. It was much more crisp a lot of the times when he was not in the lineup. And you know, I think he's, he's you know not talking after that last loss against 
the Blazers, the really damaging loss to Portland the night, um, you know, hinting at displeasure with some things after the Lakers game, but then nothing else really coming of that. I just don't think Towns has showed up in a way that makes me take him serious as a leader this season. And I think that's a problem. I think that's going to be addressed in the offseason, whether that's a, a culture shift, whether that's a trade, I don't know. But I don't think Carl Anthony Towns has been the best version of himself, certainly when he's been off the court and not when he, certainly not, been, not when he's been on the court and not when he's been off the court as well. So you take those four pieces, you know, the, the key element of coaching, the person who's putting the roster together, and two of the most, you know, two of the two highest paid players in the team, and if you if you got problems with all four, you're going to have a lot of problems. Now, I'm not saying there's not other blame to go around. I'm not going to give any of it right now to Anthony Edwards. I think he's been a warrior this year. I don't think he's been perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I think his game has grown. I think Jaden McDaniels has taken a lot of steps. I think Kyle Anderson has kept this together in a lot of different ways. I think their role players have been pretty good by and large this season. It's just been the big tickets that have not gotten it done enough this season. And that, to me, is what has added up to where they are right now, which is on the outside of the playoffs, certainly looking in. Going to be tough just to get a top eight right now and avoid having to win two games in the play-in just to get in the playoffs. We'll see if they can do it. I mean, they've got this one against the Nets tonight. If if, if this team is going to stay in character, it would be to lose that game to Portland and then go and win in New Jersey. That would certainly not surprise me based on the the kind of the body of work of this team. Every time you start to get every start time you start to give up on them, they win. Every time you start to get interested, they lose. That's just how it's been. After that, they've got San Antonio, who they should win, but again. Four and seven against those four bad teams, including San Antonio. So we'll see if they're actually able to win that game on Saturday. And then right after that, a back-to-back against New Orleans, which could be very important, or it might not be. We don't know. So all of it adds up right now to a team that does not seem like it has any momentum at all, where a week ago I thought they had figured some stuff out. So that that maddening inconsistency, that speaks to leadership. That speaks to way that the way this roster is assembled. And I don't think this has been a very good year for the biggest people in charge. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, I got hockey on the brain right now. It's uh, almost frozen four time. Randy Johnson will be in Tampa covering the Gophers in the Frozen Four. And he joins me right now. Randy, how you doing? Oh, pretty good. Pretty fired up to be getting down to Tampa. Yeah, it should be great. I mean, Gophers go in, number one overall seed in the tournament. Um, you know, kind of maybe we'll kind of talk about the path they used to get there as kind of a recap. But I mean, when you get to this time of the year, Randy, I, I don't suppose you necessarily label one team or another a a favorite, but if you're the number one overall seed, you at least feel pretty good about your chances. Yeah, I think you know they've they've built a team that uh, you know that has has every you know they they've earned the favorites uh, label. Um, you know them and Michigan. Michigan was right there with them, uh, beat them in the Big Ten tournament championship game. Uh, you can't sleep on on Boston University or Winnipeg either. BU's won uh, nine straight games, the longest streak going into the tournament, and Winnipeg has a very very good goalie, a very stingy team. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you're right. It's it's either any of these four teams could certainly emerge as 
the champion. But, you know, the way the Gophers did it in the regional where, you know, they had a little bit of a, I don't want to say a scare, but, you know, Canisius was, you know, at least testing them for half that game. Then it winds up nine to two. So it, it looks like a laugher, but they, they did have to do some work there. And then the St. Cloud State game was, you know, the final ended up being four to one. And they I, I liked the way they played that they could kind of show that they could play a more kind of controlled game or win a game with with goaltending and defense. But, you know, so it was two different kinds of games, one where they poured it on with offense, one where they had to rely a little bit more on on discipline and stuff. But that that's kind of a good a good thing to go into this next kind of slate of potential two games with is knowing you can win multiple ways and having that kind of tough game against St. Cloud. Yeah, I think that I think that's a very good uh, point there, Mike. Uh, yeah, you want to be tested. You don't want to have to go through laughers. I remember uh, the um, Loveland, Colorado regional two years ago. Uh, they beat uh, Nebraska, Omaha, something like seven two or seven three. I forget the exact score, but you know they were they won it easily. And then the next day they they had to play Mankato and, and got shut out that game. Um, I think you know that they probably got a false sense of security after that first. First big win. Uh, this team seems to be a lot more uh, uh, veteran leadership, especially especially on the blue line uh, with Brock Faber, Jackson Combe, Ryan Johnson, Mike Kester, uh, and then obviously the skill up uh, up front on the, their forwards. It doesn't seem like there's a ton of weakness on this team, and that's you know that's not to say that they're going to automatically win these next two games because, like we talked about, it's it's anybody can do anybody can win two games this time of year, and these are all good teams, but. I mean, maybe that's kind of stands as in contrast to just the depth of this team, the high end talent, the depth, the goaltending, the defense. Like, I don't can you can you really identify much of a weakness on this team? No, not a whole lot. I mean, but it's still, you know, it's still the the, the game of hockey where, you know, they're they're 28, nine and one. So, you know, they've had some outcomes that, that haven't gone their way this year. Uh, yeah, I, I think the big thing for them is to stick with their game. Don't get frustrated if they don't score right away. Uh, you know, obviously you want to score first if you can. Uh, you tend to win that way. But, uh, you know, the, the key for them, uh, you look at the, you know, some of the games they've lost, it's where, yeah, they, they've uh, allowed maybe one more goal than the first one. You, you get down to nothing. Then you're really uh, working to come back. Um, it's, they they need to, you know, stick with what, what, what's got them there. Just, uh, you know, they get pucks deep all the time. You know, just – Try to grind on teams if you can. I mean, that's, you know, they have so much offensive skill, but you do have to play more of a defensive style uh, than just the run and gun that you might during the regular season at times. Matchup wise, do you see, see anything in particular with the semifinals? Uh, you know, Boston U's got a really, really good uh, freshman defenseman in Lane Hudson. He was among the uh, uh, final 10 uh, Hobie Baker Award finalists. Um, you know, putting up uh, one of the better years of any freshman defenseman in, in college hockey history. He, he's something to, to uh, contend with. Um, uh, they've gotten good goaltending. Uh, they gave up a total of uh, two goals in, in their regional win. Um, you know, they're, they're a solid team. You know, you're coming out of that uh, hockey East and you win the regular season and conference t- uh, tournament there. You're going to be a really good team. No, that's true. I mean, in the other game, obviously, with, with Quinnipiac and, and Michigan, I mean, Michigan, like you said, kind of right there with the Gophers for much of this year. And if it did wind up being those two Big Ten teams in the final, we're not getting ahead of ourselves, but that that would be a pretty high quality. I mean, all these would be high quality, but that would be a pretty, maybe that's the matchup that people might be looking, kind of 
penciling in as a, as a potential for a, for a, a potential classic if it was those two teams. Uh, yeah, I, I would think that would be the one that uh, the, the fans probably want, uh, especially in this part of the country. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you, have, you have a combined uh, 26 NHL draft picks among uh, between those two teams. and then, 26? Yep. And the one guy who hasn't been drafted yet, uh, Adam Fantilli, freshman from Michigan, is the nation's leading scorer. So he's, he's expected to go number two overall in the NHL draft this year. So there, there's plenty of uh, star power on that ice if, if we get that matchup. And, you know, Hobie Baker finalists right there. I mean, that's 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 yeah. all of them right there. The, the Gophers had two. Michigan has one. I mean, there is a lot of a lot of firepower there. Michigan had all those you know high draft picks in the tournament a year ago, and they've they've kind of made a made a name for themselves in, in that regard. But just kind of getting there, what you know, aside from, like you said, not getting down too much, not, you know, worrying too much about if you score right away do you do you see any other particular keys for the gophers as you know as they go into these games stay out of the penalty box yeah yeah don't don't take any dumb penalties that it, it's that you know that can really trip up a team tournament time um you know puts a lot more pressure uh, on you know to, to come back and score if you happen to give up something on on, on the penalty kill or on, on the power play but uh yeah that's that's always uh something that you want to make sure you stay out of the box uh, get the good goal hunting and they have from uh, Justin Close. Um, you know, they're they have the ingredients now. It's just a matter of uh, putting it together for you know, first starting Thursday against BU, and then if they win, obviously, uh, Saturday. Now, the, the early game on Thursday, I don't know that that matters a whole lot when you've been able to be down there for a while and rest, but um, you imagine that's that's where they want to be. Do they care about when they play? Um, uh, Bob Motzko was overjoyed that they're playing, uh, the early game. Uh, he, when he was, uh, this past week at a press conference, when, uh, he was asked about that and he goes, uh, could you hear me screaming from Minnetonka? <laughs> he, he's very happy to play the early game. He, he does, he does not, uh, enjoy sitting all day uh, waiting for, for, which would be a, you know, late night start out there. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. You probably just want to go play. You've got all that energy. If you have to sit and watch for, Hours and hours, it's, you know, you, you're watching another team. It's yeah, I could I could see the benefit of, of being the of being the first game, even if it's a slightly earlier time than you're probably used to playing body clock wise. Um, cu- couple more things for you, Randy, before I let you go. One, I mean, it's it's in Tampa, it's far away from here, but I imagine they're going to travel pretty well. This is this is a team that's a got a lot of expectations, and b I don't think a lot of Minnesotans would be, would mind being in Tampa at this time of year. Minnesotans like to travel to Florida. You know, you, you, yes. you see, go down to. Uh, Fort Myers for twin spring training. Yeah. It, and there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of people end up uh, moving down there too. Yeah. There's, I would, I would imagine you're not down there yet, obviously, but I imagine they're going to be, I don't really know what the split will be crowd wise, but I imagine there will be a pretty good uh, Minnesota contingent there. Cause I mean, none of these teams are anywhere near Tampa really anyway. So. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be funny. You know, it's, you 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 always get a, a good crowd when they go down south. This is this uh, a lot of people are like, Tampa. That's not, not a place for college hockey. Yeah, but college hockey fans like to go someplace warm. Yes, and Thursday here is supposed to be like thirty five. So if you have a chance, maybe get out to uh, maybe get out to Tampa and and check that out. Randy, while I got you here, your primary beat at the Star Tribune is go for football. And I asked Chip Scoggins about this last week, and I think you're probably going to tell me about the same thing, but. Seems like there's just a lot of transfers out of the Gophers football program right now, and I, I'm imagining it's just kind of a sign of the times. But it seems like a lot of defensive players, in particular, any 
insights, thoughts, um, how big of a how big of a deal is this? How damaging are these losses? And you know, where where the, where's the program at right now with that? Well, we're going to see what their what their defensive depth is is, is uh, how it's developing. Right? You know, the latest uh, Trill Carter uh, defensive tackle who had uh, started for a couple years. That you know, it's it's a decent sized loss there. Um, you know, the, the younger guys will have to step up pretty quickly. Uh, they lost a couple of linebackers also lost, uh, uh, flip Dixon in the secondary, uh, you know, it's yeah, they're, they, these were some good players. Uh, it, it is a different, uh, time now with, with, uh, the transfer Porter and name Im- image and likeness. So there are different reasons why guys leave. Sometimes it's playing time. Sometimes it's okay. They, they see the sign that somebody younger might be getting a, getting a look. Sometimes it's just like. They uh, decide that hey, you know, I'm going to try to try it somewhere else. I don't like what's going on here. It you know, there's just various reasons. Uh, and with with the new freedoms that the NCAA is is allowing, it, it's a lot easier to leave at the at a moment's notice, uh, even if it might not be the best thing for the for the person to do. Yeah, no, that's that's true. It just it kind of struck me, and I think Chip made the point too. Like some of these guys were probably going to play a decent amount this year. And that's what made it surprising. Like sometimes you see this when there's a coaching change, or if you're just kind of seeing the writing on the wall of playing time, when you've got guys leaving that might've been playing a decent amount, it's just, it's just strange, but maybe I just got to get used to this new reality. And this is just kind of how things are these days. Yeah. You know, it, it's, um, we always look at, we're used to looking at a transfer. Okay. What's something, what, what's going wrong? I'm wrong here. What's, yeah. what's going on? why are they leaving? Um, it's kind of developed into a situation where you, it maybe isn't always a negative um, that that it used to be like a stigma of that before. It's it's like okay, it's it's freedom and guys are are using their freedom. Yep, absolutely. Well, I think it's good that they have the freedom. I think it's maybe we are going to have to catch up to that and kind of understand sure. that this is just kind of how it works now. And you're right, maybe it's not always a a question of why. It's just a question of this is how it is. Um, We'll see, though. Uh, college hockey, though, uh, this should be exceptional. I'm really looking forward to the Frozen Four Thursday Gophers um, against Boston University. It's, it's a what's the what's the faceoff time locally? Like uh, 4, 4, 4 p.m. 4 p.m. Central. Everybody take a little time. And, and then the, the night game at 7:30. Uh, uh, championship game Saturday at seven. They're all on ESPN two. ESPN two. Maybe knock off work a little early Thursday. Catch uh, catch those games. Uh, those, those should be uh, those should be good ones. Randy, appreciate it as always. I'll probably chat with you sometime while you're down in Tampa, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Mike. Off off to go uh, get my sunscreen and a speedo. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Randy. Postscript to my conversation with Randy Johnson. I don't think we realized how good we had it exactly twenty years ago in sports here. Um, that was the last time the Gophers hockey team won the national championship, the second of back-to-backs. As they were doing that, the Wild were about to embark on their well, one and only true playoff run. They've won a couple series since then, but that was the year they went to the Western Conference Finals. Timberwolves were a good team that year, won like 50 games, went to the playoffs, gave the Lakers a good series. That was a good Wolves team, kind of foreshadowed the team they had the year after when they went to the Western Conference Finals. The Twins were in the midst of winning three straight division titles. They won it in 2003. Um, just a lot of good teams, and the Vikings started that year 6-0, by the way, and would have made it a clean sweep across um, the, the big four men's professional sports leagues if they had made the playoffs. Of course, they did not. Um, the, the end of that year, not great. Kind of very Timberwolves-esque that year. They lost to all the bad teams, but 
that was kind of the uh, the de facto golden era of of sports as far as I can remember it here. Obviously, there was a lot of other years where things were better when teams were winning at a higher level, winning actual championships with you know the Twins in 87-91, and even if we want to go more recently with the Lynx winning those titles, but... 2003 was a pretty good year for sports if we think back on it and maybe uh maybe something's building now with uh, with something going on in 2023 and we'll see if the Gophers men's hockey team can start it off with a championship in just a few days here. Speaking of good vibes, how about the Twins? My gosh, uh Joey Gallo is on a heater right now. He hit another bomb on uh, on Monday against Miami. It was his third consecutive at bat going back to the last two against the Royals that he had hit the ball out of the ballpark. Another good pitching performance, Tyler Malley. They got other home runs. You know, Max Kepler led off the game with the home run. Um, they're just they're 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 really firing on all cylinders right now. And I don't know if you know I don't know how much of that is the competition. I don't know how much of that is small sample size. And I don't think the Royals or the Marlins are going to be in contention at the end of the year. That said, um, if you struggle against teams like that, you you get dinged, right? So if you win games like that, if you win games that Ultimately, at the end of the year, you decide you should have won. That's still a good sign, right? You have to beat the bad teams. You have to beat the teams you are supposed to beat to have the kind of year you want to have. And again, not to keep harping on the Timberwolves, but that's what they haven't done this year. That's if if they had just taken care of business in, you know, if they were instead of being four and seven against those really bad teams, if they were seven and four, which would still be kind of disappointing based on where those teams are in the standings, uh, they would be, you know, like the number, they would be like a four or five seed in the West right now. That That's the margin of error in the West right now. That's the margin of error that you don't allow yourself when you when you blow leads and when you can't compete with the worst teams in the league. So maybe we'll come back to this at the end of the year and say, yeah, these are games the Twins should have won. But the fact of the matter is they are winning them and they're winning them pretty convincingly lately and getting good pitching. So I'm I'm uh, I'm watching this team. I'm saying, man, they're 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 pretty good. When the pitching has been this good, the starters have only given up two runs in four games. When the offense shows a little bit more life than I thought it had, uh, you got to take notice. I am taking notice right now, and we'll see how much how much notice we need to take of this team into May, June, July. Does seem right now like the start of the year. The winning that's going on right now is less of a mirage than it was last year. I will say that with a certain amount of uh, conviction. I do feel like this team is better than last year and deserves the accolades it's getting right now, deserves to be taken seriously until proven otherwise. couple more things. Speaking of the Twins, by the way, it's hard to watch them still. There's some confusion on my Twitter feed, people, I, mean, I I talk a lot about the Bally Sports stuff, so I get you know I get a lot of uh, chatter on email or on social media asking me like what's going on. Some people still confused. Can you watch Twins games if you have the Bally Sports twenty dollar a month um, you know digital subscription? No, they do not have the rights to show the Twins games. They had the rights to show the Wild games and the Wolves games on that app, but all along, they still did not have those rights to the Twins. I think they were trying to get them over the winter, trying to add that. They have not, so you cannot watch the Twins if you have that standalone subscription. You can watch on the app if you have kind of the more conventional cable, satellite, even some of those streaming-only packages, um, not the Bally streaming-only packages, but the you know, but the you know, direct TV stream, things like that, the, the streaming packages that have Bally Sports North. If you get it through a larger subscription, you can get it through the app, but not if you have 
purchased the standalone Bally Sports North Plus. So I think that's where the confusion is setting in. People wondering, well, I have this. Why can't I get it? That's why Major League Baseball has not given Bally Sports, has not given Diamond Sports the digital rights. So you cannot watch that way. And I think a whole lot of you, if you're if you're like me and you've you've been watching through the you know, through that subscription this winter for, for the Wild and Wolves, as soon as those seasons are over, which is mighty quick, you are going to be dropping that service very quickly. Speaking of the Wild, uh, made the playoffs but uh, lost to Vegas. Disappointing finish in that game. This is going to go down to the wire. Now they're tied with Dallas now for the division lead with 98 points. Both those teams have played. 77 games, so just five left, but Colorado sitting just two points back with two games in hand now. Two games, fewer played, and they got a lot of uh, a lot of games against weaker opponents coming up. They got the Sharks today, the Sharks Thursday, the Kings, that's a good one, but then the Ducks after that. They've got some pretty easy games here coming up, or relatively easy games where they can bank some points. It's probably why uh, Hockey Reference favors um, favors the Avs to win the uh, the Central. Now, the big thing for the Wild is they got to stay in that mix. They can still win the Central. It's not out of the question. It would have been helpful to win that game last night against Vegas, but they can still win it. But if you if you don't end up winning, and if Colorado ends up scooting past the Stars in the Wild, the Wild certainly needs to finish at least in second place. Get that home ice for that first round. At least get that. So we'll see where that ends up. But uh, disappointing not to finish that one off. But I think they had to like the way they played that game against Vegas. And uh, you know, still looking like a team that could do some damage once they get to the playoffs. We'll see where they wind up. And let's finish with the cooler. NCAA basketball, the season's over. I got to admit, I did not pay a lot of attention to the NCAA men's basketball tournament. I was much I was actually a lot more interested in the women's tournament. And I think I think the women's tournament surpassed, eclipsed the men's tournament in a lot of ways this year. Just more star power more ability to get interested in the players. And Caitlin Clark certainly had a lot to do with that. Um, you know, the men's tournament, I think UConn had a great run. I think they're a very good team, um, but I did not watch much of it at all. It just did not capture my imagination. Even all the teams, even all the underdogs, the Cinderella stories, you know, San Diego State making it all the way to the title game. I like that element. I just know that when teams like that are making it, it probably means that the, the product is not what it used to be. And I don't think the product is what it used to be. So, you know, congrats to UConn for winning it. But I think college basketball is in a bit of trouble right now just between the portal and between losing a lot of best its best players, you know, to, to transfers, to, to or, you know, going to the NBA early, to development leagues, things like that. I just don't feel like college basketball is anywhere near its peak right now. And I feel like it keeps going down and down and down. We'll see if it can rebound at some point. But right now, just not into it, even as they crowned a champion on Monday night. That'll do it for me today. Should have a lot more wild talk on Wednesday show. Expect to be joined by beat writer Sarah McClellan. A lot to get into with that team as they gear up for the stretch run and try to make it to the playoffs. Until then, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Back at it again tomorrow.